0: Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski.
1: Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And of course, I'm joined by Tom Dorian. Tom? You doing all right? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And uh, you know, we have a great guest today. I see that. He's well, great. Yeah, he's, he is as great. the guest speaks himself. <laughs> yeah. um, it's Father Larry Richards, and you don't need much of an introduction, but, but we'll go ahead and give you one anyway. Oh, please. Uh, so Father, Father Larry <laughs> Richards is a, is a priest. And I, get, I believe you're uh, in the Diocese of Erie, Pennsylvania. You got it. All right. And so, uh, Father Larry, uh, you spend a lot of time talking Writing, <laughs> speaking, traveling—very yep. uh, much in demand—and we are so thrilled that you would take a few minutes to be with us here in the Catholic so Cafe. Good cafe. To be here, well, this great. is
2: one classy cafe. Let me give you a hint. <laughs> now, come on, this is the nicest one you've been. <laughs> nicest one I've ever been. To. This is luxurious. Nice. Isn't absolutely. It absolutely.
1: We're going to talk a little bit about what you are actually in town to talk about, mm-hmm. uh, and just this whole concept of being a man. Very now, good. I just said those words, and I'm sure there's a lot of women that just rolled their eyes. Yeah, And there's some guys that say, you know what, do we need to hear any more of this stuff? I don't even know what it means to be a man. and
2: That's the problem. That's right. Well, that's why we got you
1: here, because you've got this wonderful book called Be a Man. It's available from Ignatius Press, and it's a great book because it just hits the nail on the head. Yep. Right? And uh, I, I read on the back of it, it talks about uh, you have a wonderful little introduction there that says you, you don't mince words. Not at all. You just say it like it
2: is, and, and, that's, they, a, and that's a good thing. And I think men need it. I always call myself a spiritual uh, coach. If you get a coach and you go, hey, coach, I want to sit there and be the best football player around and a guy says, hey, I like you just the way you are. Just show up for practice 45 (laughs) to an hour, 45 minutes to an hour a week and have good thoughts about the game. You'd say, get out of here, coach. You're not what I want. And yet that's what's happened so many years for men in the Christian faith. You know, God loves you just the way you are and there's no challenge. So my job is to say, listen, God wants you to be holy. And this is talking about salvation. This is talking about Your life, how do you live as a man? So it's a challenging thing. And I think men. Everywhere I go, respond to that. They want to be challenged to be the best. Look at the young people who join the service. They want to be men. They go join the Marines. And when you join the Marines, it's not easy. You challenge yourself every day to go stronger and stronger. Well, the same thing has to happen in the spiritual life, and that's what the book does. It's a challenge to be the best you can be for God.
1: Well, you know what? If you start at the very beginning, though, yep. not only being in the book, but the whole concept of being a man. Sure. Right? Let's go all the way back to Genesis. Mm-hmm. Right? And God did... Create us differently, men and women, absolutely and right now in the world, we kind of have a little problem sometimes differentiating between it's the men and the women a little
2: problem that 's the problem <laughs> you know I think there's been this great def- uh, the uh, feminization of men throughout the years, and you know men and women it, there's blurred, and that 's the whole problem Tom. Now, Tom. don't
1: take offense to any of this. Oh. this, this is, he just go ahead, Tom. Father Larry <laughs> is just trying I'm, I'm
2: comfortable the way I am. There you go. Jeez. You can hit a deacon. I'll give you the absolution. You smell nice to you, Tom. AM. Trust me. He'll get it. He'll get it. Absolutely. But the reality is, is that we're not better than each other. We're different than each well, other. Well, compliment, complementary is what we hear. Absolutely, we fit together physically. Right. I always say, and if we don't fit together, that if we weren't opposite, we wouldn't be able to fit together. And so the reality is, when men are fully men and women are fully women, we become a whole person. And I think the problem within the church and the problem within society throughout the years is we haven't been a whole person because we're trying to be too much alike. That's and, right, and exactly. So now's the time for us to really grow up and be who. And, and, and like the 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 subtitle of the book is "Being the Man God Created You to Be." Right, and it's the whole thing of John Paul II with his uh, theology of the body, that men are men, and women are women, and we best reflect God in our lives when we are who we are.
1: And so I guess if, if we're going to say that men and women are complementary, mm-hmm. which is what we just said, sure. and I think that's the way God intended it, sure. that would necessarily mean that you would have to be a real or a true man to be a complement to that true woman. Absolutely. And so when we have that problem where we're not being true men, yep. well, that. Everything leans to one side and the house collapses. Exactly. So our problem then is to discuss and figure out what does it mean to be a true man. What, in a nutshell, what are we talking about
2: here? Well, the way I always talk about it is a man who one is one who gives away his life for the, the better purpose. Huh? So he starts off by doing it for God. He starts off by doing it for his family. He starts off by being, you know, the I love half the book is on what the Holy Spirit does in the masculine right. soul that it, we are not a cowardly spirit that God's given us, but one that makes us strong, loving, and wise. And so in the midst of this, when a person, and a man does it his way, you know, a man by definition is like if, the, if you are the giver, you know, even with the, uh, the intimate act between a man and a wo- woman, that a man gives his life for right. the woman and the woman receives what she has from the man. And so when he takes that and he does that in the force, my dad called uh, it a pitcher and a catcher. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: That was a whole different discussion there.
2: <laughs> yeah. We won't go right there now for on the radio. Thank but God. anyway, so with the reality that when, when a man is being masculine and giving himself away, then he gives glory to God, and he makes the woman the most beautiful creature ever. You know, know, remember when God created woman, when God created man, he said it was good. When God created woman, he said, it's very good. (laughs) And so that's half the reality that when when, uh, like some people are afraid that when men are really being men that we're becoming, you know, uh, uh, bigots who are trying to say men are better. No, we're trying to put women up there and saying, you're the greatest creature, and we want to serve you by giving you our lives. You know, so in no way is like a horrible thing. It's a great thing. That's what we, oh, we always get back to the
1: fifth chapter of Ephesians when we exactly. start talking about giving. You know, what is the man going to do? He's going to lay his, exactly. his life down for his wife.
2: Absolutely. So the challenge then becomes how to be that real and that true man. And I think that the way we do that, first of all, is become men of prayer. You must be a man of prayer. It's coming to who you were created to be. Like, I taught boys for eight years, you know, all boys and all boy high school. You've got some gray hair there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We won't talk about that right now either. It's a sign of great maturity. But anyway, in dealing with the the boys, nobody taught them how to be men. You know, unless you look at the sports figures and the sports heroes and the, the movie stars, and that's what it is to be a man. And so my thing was, no, no, excuse me. Look at Jesus Christ, who is the perfect man. And like, again, like I've been telling a lot, I'm a spiritual director for a lot of spirit, uh, seminarians. And I say, what I want you to do this Lent is I want you to just read the Gospels and read and focus on Jesus as a man. What are his characteristics? And write those down and start emulating those, all those things in your life. Look at the true man who is Jesus Christ and want to be like him. And when men get there and get focused on that again, then they're like, wow, Christ changed the world. And that's what men are called to do. Now, you talked a little bit about how prayer is
1: involved in this process as
2: well. You've got to pray about
1: this because we can get some of those great answers from God because we were designed by God. And I think God would be the one to tell us what we're supposed to be doing.
2: And it all begins with me uh, when I, I, again, even my book, I talk about Jesus' whole ministry began when he was baptized and the sky opened up and says, you are my beloved son. So when men come to realize who they are before God, they are beloved sons of the Father, loved by the Father, and then they get their whole ministry from the Father's love, now they can go out and be who they are. They don't have to prove themselves to anybody. They're beloved to the Father, and when they get that strength from God, where Jesus got his strength, again, now they can lay down their lives for others freely and joyfully because they know they're loved by the Father.
1: Well, in terms of prayer, I remember uh, a little piece in your book that I wanted to read real quick. You you quote John Paul Paul Paul. II, and he says, uh, John Paul II second said sometimes I would wake up during the night and find my father on his knees just as I would always see him kneeling in the parish church and then you go on to say what would your children find you doing if they woke up in the middle of the night you need to decide to become a man of prayer and that prayer needs to begin with surrender to the Holy
2: Spirit that's a challenge for a lot of men though isn't it (laughs) every page better be a challenge that's the point again my next book coming out is called surrender and I did a, a, a thing down in Mobile Alabama and it was early in the morning 600 men showed up to listen to me talk, and I said, gentlemen, the key to being a man is for you to surrender your life to God. And so for some people that think, well, to surrender means I, I surrender and I run away. No, surrender means you're in love, and you freely give up your life for something greater. And then when you do that, that's when you fully become who God created but you. But you've got for. to give
1: up, too. There's got to, you got There's to, got got to be a sacrifice, Absolutely. because a lot of people <laughs> would think that if you put, that, you'd put a quarter
2: in the Salvation Army bucket, yep. that that's surrender. Sure, and that's not even close. Surrender is going to cost you your life. And then the guys come out, Father, how can we don't this much because to do that's going to die. And we want to, you know, nowadays especially in America, we want to listen to these preachers that are on TV that says, you know, you come to God and God's going to love you and bless you and make you rich. So it's all feel good. Right. Exactly, feel good and it's also selfish. I'm still waiting on my Cadillac, exactly. by the way. <laughs> my re- If you can't preach the gospel to someone who's holding their dying baby in their arms because of starvation, you can't, it is, it is not the gospel. So what it is, when you come to follow Jesus, Jesus says, no one can be a disciple unless he denies his very self, picks up his cross every day and follows him my steps. So to follow Jesus will kill you. And if it doesn't kill you, you're not following Jesus. Now, again, we don't stay dead. We go through the cross and we experience resurrection. Like I always say, I'm not a Lenten person. I'm more of an Easter person. But you can't become an Easter person unless you go through Lent. You can't become fully alive with Christ unless you die. You can't the have the joy unless you have the sorrow. Absolutely. That's what it leads
1: to. And, and, and that's God's plan of salvation anyway. Jesus. salvation,
2: but it's also his plan for sports. You can't be a good football player unless you're killing yourself. Right practicing every day and you know deny yourself hard 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 so if that's the way it is to make money to be a sports thing how much more in the spiritual life a lot of times we look at what the world views a man should be like, mm-hmm. right? Well, we're faced with it
1: all the time with the sure. magazines, the television, Absolutely. the movies, everything that tells you what a man is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Now that's a little different though, right? Than <laughs> maybe bit. what yeah. God intended?
2: <laughs> I call it the Burger King theology. Yeah. The world tells us have it your way, go for the gusto, live for number one. Jesus tells us to lay down our life for others. Huh? The reality is at the end of every day we should examine our lives and think did I commit at least one unselfish act today for somebody? And if the answer is no, you wasted your whole life today because you only live for yourself. But again, the number if you go to any bookstore in the world, the number one section, the biggest section of any bookstore in the world is what? A uh, self-help thing. And people go over to these self-help stores and they read all these books, but notice they have to keep going back because it doesn't help. Because self-help says you've got to take care of yourself first before you can take care of somebody else. And that's the biggest, deepest lie that the world's hit us with in the world. Jesus says you lay down your life and when you give up your life then you're going to find life. The world says no, 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 find your life first because you've got to take care of yourself before right. you take care of somebody else. You're supposed else. to put your mm-hmm. oxygen mask on exactly. first before you exactly. help the kids. And I've heard, you know, <laughs> stop it all. Of you, you know, and again, people know inside that doesn't ring true. It doesn't click right. Well, you
1: know, we're talking about being a real man. Yep. Now you say the words real man to somebody mm-hmm. like, you know, and I'm sure Tom uses the expression all the time to man up. Uh-huh. Right. Absolutely. Instantly. We have pictures of like machismo, right? We have the guy that's <laughs> yeah. like, uh, got the, the shirt rolled up and we sure. see his muscles and sure. the tattoos and sure. whatever. And he's the real man's man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. Is there a difference between, like, say,
2: macho and to be strong? Absolutely. When it comes to strength, it's a strength of uh, giving up your life again. It's a strength of putting other people first. Like again, when I'm again when I'm dealing with high school kids, I say, gentlemen, God made you strong to protect the weak. So strength isn't something we waste on ourselves. Strength is something we use for the building up of the body of Christ. So, And people can be strong in different ways. You know, you can have someone, like I purposely deal with it in my book, that you don't have to be a weightlifter, you don't have to be a hunter, you don't have to go out and, you know, do all these uh, big masculine things, if you will, to be a man. But you do need to be a person who are a man of integrity. You are who you are no matter where you are. And that you stand up for what you believe in, no matter what the cost, and you lay down your life no matter costs, no matter what the cost for what you believe in. And that's what a man is.
1: That sounds awesome. We have more to talk about. If you want to learn how to be a man, stay with us uh, right after after this break. (laughs) Uh, Before we do that, I want to remind everyone at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com and also I'd love for you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com Now, if you want to hear about sex, you're going to want to come back right after this. You got
2: that.
0: I'm and this is another great moment in church history. Born in England in the late 7th century, a man named Winfrith felt called to the monastic life and joined the Benedictines at an early age. It was not long before he flourished in the faith and became recognized as a powerful conduit for the Holy Spirit to all those he encountered. Tradition tells us that the Pope himself changed Winfrith's name to Boniface, a name that means good fortune. St. Boniface was very well thought of in the Catholic Church in England and would have most definitely excelled there, but he felt a burning desire to carry the gospel message to those who were not yet Christians. He focused his attention on continental Europe, where a colorful array of pagan religions was beginning to take root. With an evangelistic zeal, he crossed the seas and found himself settled in Germany, where he went to work straight away sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. One story is told of how St. Boniface had become so distressed by the pagan worship of trees in Germany that he decided to go to the public square and cut down a giant oak tree dedicated to the god Thor. The townspeople looked on in horror, fully expecting Thor to avenge the horrid deed and punish St. Boniface. But nothing happened. They became convinced that the God of St. Boniface, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was the one true God. Many were converted to Christianity because of this one simple act on the part of St. Boniface. As St. Boniface entered his 80s, he resigned all his positions of leadership and once again went back to his roots of the simple missionary life. Though he was advanced in years, he was still a compelling force for the Church. He converted many to Catholicism, but at the same time made his enemies all the more jealous of his successes for God. In 754, St. Boniface and 53 of his followers were murdered by a band of pagans determined to stop the continuing spread of Catholicism. Without any resistance whatsoever, they quietly laid down their lives for Christ and his Church. St. Boniface was lovingly referred to as the Apostle of the Germans. Recalling the years that St. Boniface worked in Germany, a well-known German church historian stated, To us, this was a period of light, when the light of the gospel and of Christian civilization came to us, the feast day of St. Boniface is celebrated by the Universal Church on June fourth. I'm Bestra Zimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff.
1: And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and we're sitting here with Father Larry Richards. Now, Father, we left off now with uh, being a real man. Now, you can't talk about being a man... Right. And John Paul II was big on this with the theology sure. of the body without talking about a man's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the things that you talk about in this book might open a few eyes for a lot of young men who, th- who think they know what being
2: a man is all about. Sure. First thing I think that to be a man is you're one who controls. You're not an animal. You know, animals just give in to every sexual thing that they ever have, every itch they scratch. Being a man learns to deny themselves for a higher purpose. You know, and again, like often, like just say something in a church like artificial birth control. I just the parish mission this week, and, you know, the guy's grown when I talk about you got to be a person that can't use artificial birth control. And, you know, a guy comes to me and so, says, Father, you that means out of, like, seven days a month I mightn't be able to have sex with my wife. I say, after 51 years being celibate, then I'll feel bad for you. You know, <laughs> but I don't want to hear, you know, part of being a man is you learn to say no to all your desires, not for, not for a, just to say no to them, but for a higher purpose, right. you know, and so that's the point. But then again, when persons are intimate with their spouse, Houses. Like, again, in my book I talk about, and I do it all the time, and people think I'm nuts, and I say, you want to have great sex with your wife? And they all go, they all perk up, yes, Father, yeah, we want to have great <laughs> sex with our wife. I said, then I want you to learn to pray with your wife before you have sex. And they all their heads go down <laughs> like... Father, don't you think that's going to kill the moment? And I say, if you think that's going to kill the moment, you don't know what prayer is and you don't know what sex is. Huh? Sex is the it, what you should be doing is sharing your soul first and then it's consummated physically. And God is the very first commandment ever out of God's mouth was increase and multiply. God knows all about sex. He wants to rejoice. He's the one that made us. When we have sex with our spouses, we are, become co-creators with God. It's the most wonderful, glorious thing ever. And I'm a celibate priest saying right. that, but the reality is, but people sit there and say, well, Father, I don't know. I say, you just try. You try it once. You try praying with your wife before you're intimate with her. And everyone that's ever done, it says, Father, that was the most intimate I've ever been with anybody. You got that right. Because you shared your soul First, And then you express that physically, which is what it's supposed to be. Now, let's talk
1: about the proper attitude of a man towards a woman before they're married.
2: Absolutely. And I always like, again, dealing with boys throughout all these years, I'd say, gentlemen, you love this girl, right? I do, Father. And I says, if you love her so much, that's why you're having sex with her, right? Well, of course, Father. And I says, well, if you love her so much, you'd never do anything to put her soul in danger, would you? But every time you have sex with her, you put her soul in danger of damnation because of you. You weren't caring about her soul. You were only caring about your body and what you wanted. And so when you're really in love with somebody, you're in love with their soul first. And so that's the big thing. And so they're always like, Father, we really hate you.
1: Good. (laughs) (laughs) There's another good uh, paragraph here in your book I want to read real quick. Gentlemen, if Jesus Christ cannot be Lord of your sexual life, he is not Lord of any part of your life. If Jesus... Is Jesus Lord of your sexual life? If not, don't play this game that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. He is not. If he is not Lord of that sexual act between you and your spouse, then how can you say he is Lord of anything else? And I've never heard of expressed that way, but yep. Jesus is Lord of that sexual act. And a lot of people think, well, sex is dirty, right? It's, oh. it's right. And so why, Jesus is not, you know, I'll take off my crucifix. You know, sure, you, exactly. That, I, Father, I don't want to, you know. And, and they'll start thinking, well, Jesus should turn the crucifix around exactly. or the pictures of Jesus around because we're going to do this thing and and the point is Jesus belongs in that act absolutely as even he wants maybe to share even as much in as act
2: absolutely he's the one that created the act that's the whole point that that God rejoices in sexuality. That's what's so good about the Catholic Church. Now, we have some people in the church that have become prudes throughout the years, and they push this other whole reality. But that isn't what John Paul II did. And he talks about this thing that God rejoices. You know, everybody here, like I used to tell my boys, you know, gentlemen, your parents had sex to get you here. And they go, that's (laughs) disgusting, Father. Don't even say that. That's disgusting. Because we have this prudish mentality about sexuality, but we should have the mentality because, again, Scott Hahn says He has a great line. He says, sex isn't great. Uh, Frosted flakes is great. Sex isn't good. Campbell's soup is mm -mm good. Sex is holy. It's how we are most like God. And so people start looking at sexuality as a holy act, how we're most like God. Just think of when a husband and wife come together for sex. They can be they can create eternal life with God. That's why it's such a great and awesome thing. And so when two people come together and they invite God in there and they co-create with God, wow, it's such a blessing. And again, the world has made sex dirty by definition. That's never come from the church. It's from the world and some people have adopted it. But by definition, uh, the Catholic Church rejoices in sexuality and makes it a holy reality.
1: Now, in your book, you also talk about being a man. And once you're, once you're a true man, that, you, that your, your mission now is to sort of change the world. And Absolutely. you're going to have it. You're going to have an effect on the world. Sure. And so the question then becomes, uh, do we have to fix ourselves to make sure that we're I, 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 we have I to guess surrender the, ourselves. Right, we're preaching out of the same
2: book or we're singing sure. out the same hymn. My book. thing is to be a Christian by definition isn't to just be a good person because you know Jewish people are good people, Muslims are good people, atheists are good people. To be a Christian means you have died and you no longer live as it says in Philippians, I mean Galatians 2:19, but Jesus Christ lives inside of you. So the purpose of every man is to surrender his life so much that now Christ lives his life through them. And so your job is to get out of the way and let Jesus change the the world through you. See, some people, again, the best example is St. Peter. When St. Peter was walking on water, he was fine as long as he looked at Jesus. But as soon as he looked at himself and his weakness, or he looked at the storm around him, he started to fall. And how did he get back up? Jesus helped me. He refocused on Jesus, and Jesus picked him up. If we're focusing on our weakness, we're always going to be weak. If we're focusing on the situations around us, there's always going to be excuses in our lives. If we focus on Jesus, Jesus can do anything, gentlemen. There is nothing you can't do in Christ. But nothing.
1: That, but that goes countercultural, though, doesn't it? Absolutely. Because, because we're taught to be a real man that, that basically we need to be self-reliant. We need to pick uh, ourselves up. We, we do what we need to do to get through and whatever. And isn't
2: that the reality? The reality is it's the lie from the devil because we can't even take our next breath without God saying, okay, I'll give you that breath. By definition, we are dependent people. And the people who think they're most strong in themselves, that's the biggest lie. You're not. I can take your breath away. Like, Scientology is a big thing where everybody goes and says, I create my own reality. And I was fighting with a Scientologist once, and I says, you create your own reality. Yes, I do. Well, let me take a gun and put it next to your head and pull the the trigger, and you stop that bullet from going through your head. You can't control your own reality for nothing. That's truth. And so, as men, we Acknowledge reality for what it is, and then we sit there and base our lives on that. So I surrendered to the One who is the I Am, the Creator of all reality, He who is the necessary for everything.
1: Father Larry, you're not packing at this interview, right? You don't maybe. <laughs> all right, well that's be afraid. Don't <laughs> very afraid. I refused it.
0: So watch what you say.
1: Now, so one of the, the, the most impactful things that's happened in my life, just from a faith perspective, mm-hmm. is uh, I got involved in a, uh, a movement called the Curcio Movement. Sure. Which uh, basically is a a wonderful experience, right? You sing De Caloris? No, I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) Let's not go there. Yeah, okay. This is not a musical program. (laughs) But. The, one of the, the the blessings of that movement is are these group reunions that you sure. have. Like when you get together, I get together. In fact, uh, Tom Dory and I have been grouping for about thirteen years now. Poor and, guy. Yeah, I know. I'm. Just, Thank it's you, really you terrible. I, yeah, <laughs> I do.
2: That's your purgatory. But the point is yeah.
1: this idea that we, that we get together as men and we mm-hmm. hold ourselves accountable. Sure. Right. Because all these things you're saying are great, mm-hmm. but you know you're going to leave the room and we're going to forget. Sure. We're guys. We go back to the you know the duct tape and sure. you know the exactly. fun the football and everything, and and, sure. and the world goes back to where it it started. Sometimes and so these accountability groups are pretty powerful, though, Absolutely. aren't they?
2: Absolutely. And I think, and again, men, by, de- uh, by definition, like to come together to play football, to watch football, to watch games. We like to congregate for these things of the world. But, w- but it still leaves us empty. It gives us some fun. I mean, I love to sit there and watch the Steelers kill the Cleveland Browns and all that <laughs> stuff. But the reality is, uh, but when we come together for a deeper purpose, boy, it really clicks inside of us, and it makes us more uh, stronger men. Again, that's why when people join the Army, they do it together. You become a union of men together. And so I think it's an important thing. But again, uh, society says be a lone ranger. Right. And there is no Lone Rangers in Christianity by definition. Jesus always sent them out two by two. And so must we. We need at least somebody, even if it's like with myself, I have a spiritual director who knows me as I am, kicks me in the butt and challenges me to be better. We need someone in our lives that's going to challenge us. Again, uh, Philip Neri saying, Philip Neri says, those who have themselves for a spiritual director have a fool for a spiritual director. Yeah. And those who only listen to themselves, and you know they're, they're fools because they only are dealing with what they think. Well, I can convince
1: myself it. of anything. And
2: Absolutely. Of course. It's that pride we all have.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. Well, I know you're actually in town to do a talk for um, a program called the Men's Morning of Spirituality. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially that. It's based on some uh, some groups like the Curcio and also um, a group called Fishers of Men sure. uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. And this whole idea that people come together, men come together. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, I don't want to get all goofy and talk about to celebrate being no, a man. No. It's not that. It's to hear the no, hard no, reality of what it is to be a man. It's to
2: get the marching orders from Almighty God what He wants us to do next in our lives. You know, so again, when someone comes to this, I say, if you're just going to come here and you're going to f- walk out the same way, you wasted your time and I wasted my time coming. You're supposed to change now, become holier, and go out and do what God wants you to do and stop wasting your time on what you think you want to do. You know, our life is not for us to live the way to go do what I want to do. My life is to come before God and say, God, what did you create me for? And when you do that, we're going to change the world. I mean, think about it. When you drop dead, are, you, is, are people going to say about, you. You gave more than you took, or you took more than you gave. Hopefully we all gave everything. So when we're done, the world is a better place because we were here and we gave, we had one life and we gave it away and we helped change the world by doing that.
1: Amen that was wonderful Father Larry Richards thank you so much you uh, your Be A Man book is fantastic Ignatius Press by God's grace uh, and then also we're going to have some uh, uh, look forward to surrender when that comes out mm-hmm. uh, that'll be awesome maybe we'll have you back I'll give you another cup, another cup of coffee here sure. at the Cafe Cafe
2: next time it better be beer but anyway go ahead. <laughs> we're working on the liquor license <laughs> good Father. job there you go
1: <laughs> beautiful thank you so much Father Larry would you uh, do us the honor of leaving us absolutely. in a prayer absolutely
2: Holy Father great God of love and mercy we love you we ask you to bless everyone who listens to this broadcast make them truly your disciples and help them change the world in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit
0: Amen. Amen Amen Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe if you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff send an email to Deacon Jeff at TheCatholicCafe dot The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stine Bishop Memphis, in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.